Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. What's a home field advantage worth? And by the way, what causes the home field advantage? Is it just the fans by themselves? Is it the travel? Is it the fact that you're not sleeping in your own bed the night before or two nights before the football game? Like, I look at the NFL and I kind of wonder, you know, what, what, is the, what is the actual home field advantage caused by? You know, a lot of people will point to the fans and say, oh, it's just having, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 people cheering on your behalf. You know, that is a you know, big difference maker when you're in a stadium versus cheering against you. But I also have talked to players and athletes who, who talk about, you know, their routine, their ability to sleep and eat and be in a normal sort of flow during the week, how that gets disrupted by the travel. So what is it really about? That's a question I've been thinking about as Utah and Oregon State, this football game approaches on Friday. The Utes, the Beavers, two ranked teams, Research Stadium, 6 o'clock kickoff. And oh, by the way, this radio show will be live from Research Stadium, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Friday. We'll bring it all to you right from the stadium. So I want you to tune in Friday. But in the meantime, we've got Utah football coach Kyle Whittingham on the line. Coach, I've been talking about home field advantage. I want to bring you right into the conversation. What is it about? Is it the travel? Is it the crowd? Is it that you're out of rhythm, out of flow? What goes into home field advantage? As Oregon State has been very good at home, you guys have been great at home as well at Rice Eccles Stadium. Well, I think there's a number of things. Number one, you know, not having to travel. I mean, that's uh, particularly on a short week. I mean, and we're not making excuses at all. I'm just, I'm just saying that when you travel to a, a you know, a stadium, it's, it does put more. Uh, you know, just I don't want to say stress on the players, but it's different than just being at home and, and being in your normal situation. But but uh, and then secondly, obviously the fans and and I know Oregon State has had really good support this year. I think they've sold out uh, their first couple home games, and as have we. And so that's another factor is is getting the home crowd involved, making it difficult for your offense to to uh, function. Uh, you know, do you know with the noise levels? And so uh, I think yeah, those things probably are the the main contributors to uh, home field advantage yeah yeah everyone always thinks about the crowd but you're right like you know the travel when you are moving uh, a contingent that that's big i mean and it's you've got what 80 90 100 kids that you're worried about on a nightly basis and i've <laughs> yeah. i've seen you guys in hotels and i've seen the teams that come to salt lake city like i stayed in uh, usc's team hotel last time they visited you guys and it's a lot of logistics there's people running around all day long oh yeah it's a big operation when you when you talk about you know the whole travel party. I mean, you're approaching 200 people, and and uh, it is a big, uh, you know, a lot of moving parts and, and making sure you stay organized and, and uh, efficient. How different is it for you, like, when you go on vacation with your family versus when you've got a travel party of 200? <laughs> well, I, I got nine grandkids, and so that can be like herding cats on a vacation. You're chasing them through the airport, and, and they're running up and down the airplane aisles, and so it's a, but it, it's all good. I love it, but uh, there are some similarities there. There, but, but uh, you know, obviously the you know with the football, it's all business, and that's what we impress upon our guys is, hey, this is a business trip, and that's it. I mean, there's nothing more to it. You're going to try to win a football game, and, and don't let anything distract you from that. Last year, we took our three daughters and we went to Hawaii for two weeks, and we're not that family. We're not that family who does like two <laughs> weeks anywhere. Uh, where where do the Whittingham's vacation? Do you have like a spot you go to, or does it depend? 
Hawaii, without a doubt. We'll, we'll go there nine times to every one other place. You know, it's uh, that's our go-to, and, and particularly Maui, uh, West Maui to be exact. And and uh, we did that same thing this past year. We took uh, the whole family. There was 18 of us, and uh, that was uh, that was a challenge. That was a challenge, but we had a big Airbnb and and uh, had a great time. You go to Mama's Fish House. Yeah, if you can get in. I mean, yeah. there's a six-month waiting list. Yeah, make that once in a while. Yeah, once in a while they'll have a cancellation or something, and you can slide in. But needless to say, all 18 of us didn't go there. That one no wasn't happening. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, you guys, look, you've done a really good job over the years, not just this season, as a coaching staff, in kind of adjusting, adapting, MacGyvering it, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, when you don't have your QB and you're kind of putting together a game plan on a week-to-week basis like that – is that fun for you, that chess match or that, you know, getting the duct tape out and trying to figure out how to how to game plan this thing? Or do you much prefer when you're at full strength, I guess? Oh, obviously you'd rather be at full strength, but uh, hardly anybody's at full strength right now. And, and so you got to deal with your injuries and the guys you're missing. And, and I do really enjoy the, the chess match aspect of it. I mean, the, you know, the schematics and and uh, really, you know, not not only the schematics, but the matchups, you know, making sure you got good matchups and, and you uh, coordinate your personnel within the scheme. Because that's, that's as important or more so than anything else is the matchups. It's more important than the coverages and the fronts, you know, making sure your matchups are, uh, are sound. You guys have such depth and and great culture. Obviously, how what kind of time does that take to develop? Because I'm looking at some of the programs across the conference, going, you know, they just don't have the depth that you have. But it doesn't feel like the drop off to your twos is a dramatic drop off. Well, we feel like we've got our best roster since we uh, joined the Pac-12, which has been, what, 12 years or so. And so uh, a lot of hard work through recruiting, and, and that's really what college football is all about, is recruiting. And we have a great uh, group of assistant coaches that, that have done a great job evaluating players and, and uh, you know, projecting. We, we've got to project here, and, you know, it's not where is the player now, where can we get him to in two or three years? You know, what, what kind of upside does he have? And and uh, we've done, a, like I said, a good job of, of of uh, evaluating that talent and, and uh, targeting the potential of athletes and and uh, and developing. I mean, you recruit, you develop, and you manage. That's that's one of our mantras. And so we recruit the raw material, the guys that uh, that can you know play at this level from a from a physical standpoint, then develop them because they're not all going to come ready made. And then make sure you manage them. You know, that comes where culture comes in is is making sure that uh, everyone understands that you know the new guys come in our program, you will become us. We won't become you. And you got understand that and that's how we operate that, that's interesting to me so during that recruiting process if you get any sign that he's more i want you to be me do you back away from a kid like that yeah, we have we put a high premium on uh, the kid's attitude and culture, or not culture, but uh, character, and uh, making sure that he's a good fit for us. And and uh, we've turned away hun- literally hundreds of really good football players that we just didn't think were were good fits for our program. You ever look over and go, "Hey, I was wrong about that kid," or do you most, <laughs> mostly get him right? <laughs> Well, absolutely, you're wrong a certain period of time. I don't know anybody that's 100% accurate in recruiting. In fact, you know, we have a, a, another adage here. If you can be right on two out of every three kids you bring into the program, if two of those kids end up being really good players for you, you're going to win championships. If, if you're right on one out of two, then you're going to be okay. And if you're one out of three, you're going to get fired. And so, uh, you know, with an 85-man roster, if you've got two out of every three guys in your program that's that's a, a player, then you got a really solid two deep and, and you can function. Oregon State, uh, you know, three and one this season, ranked. Uh, this should be a big game, good game on Friday night. What do you see on film? 
the same thing we see on film everywhere with Oregon State. I mean, Jonathan Smith, I think, is an outstanding football coach, one of the best in the country. I've said that many times. Uh, offensively, it starts with their line. Their O-line is as well coached as anybody in the country. They're physical. They're, uh, they work in sync uh, as well as anybody. I mean, those those guys are really uh, have a lot of uh, continuity, and and uh, they just play well. And and, and I you know, attribute it to coaching them. Obviously, they're getting the right guys in there you know, physically, but, but they coach them up. They always have uh, you know, at least one running back. This year they got a couple that are really hard-nosed and, and uh, really get uh, north and south and then slam it up in there. Uh, DJ at quarterback, you know, that was an, another addition for them. They got speed on the outside. They're not a really uh, you know, big re- receiving core, but they got speed out there. And So, so I, we see uh, pretty much what we've seen uh, ever since Jonathan arrived, although he just keeps making the program better and better. You know, last year they won 10 games. Uh, defensively, they're very active, very tough, light of the football, uh, aggressive, and so uh, not not much difference from year to year. You, you see a lot of uh, a lot of the same good quality showing up. Do you look back? I know they beat you there two years ago. You beat them at your place last year. Do you go back and look at those games, or are you mostly focus on the personnel they have now? We look at everything that uh, is at our, at our disposal, and, and that is certainly uh, games that we've studied. We go back last year, you know, all their games. We break down, you know, in this day and age with with computers and how uh, readily available all the information is, where, where you used to break down three or four games back in the old days when you're watching 16-millimeter film. Now you can break down, you know, a dozen or more games and have them right there at your disposal. So we, we do as much... Uh, you know, breakdown as we feel is uh, applicable to uh, to helping us put the game plan together. How much self scouting do you do? A lot. That's a lot. You better know what the opponent knows about you. If you don't know about yourself, what the opponent knows about yourself, then then that's not a good thing. And so we uh, we make sure we do that uh, continually throughout the season. Uh, and uh, you know, hopefully that you know we can. Uh, you know, again, know what they know, because if you don't, uh, you're at a disadvantage. I have a lot of parents who will reach out to me, Coach, and say, you know, hey, I've got a promising high school player or middle school player or Pop Warner player, and they want advice, and they want to know, how do I get my kids seen? How do I get noticed? What do you tell people who's t- who ask you that? Just put it on tape. I mean, play. Every, and tape is so readily available. Like I said, there's no. You used to be able to find, uh, you know, turn over rocks and find guys that nobody knew about and hidden gems and that type of thing. That that day and age is almost non-existent because because the huddle film and everything is so accessible. It used to take you weeks and weeks for a coach, a high school coach, to send you tape. You can get it, uh, you know, in, in two seconds. You dial up the computer and and you can watch the tape. And and my advice would be, you know, play hard every snap. You know, you, you know, because what you put on tape is who you are and if you're a guy that plays hard two or three plays and takes a player two off I mean that that's not going to help your cause so bottom line play hard you know play the game the way it's supposed to be played excel in the classroom I mean that's a big part of it as well obviously is making sure that that your your grades are up to snuff and and if you can do those two things they'll find you college recruiters will find you I'll cut you loose here after this one but Cam Rising um, you know I'm not going to ask you if he's going to play not going to play but how do you deal with sort of the rust element in making sure that he's fluid and where he needs to be versus healthy? 
Yeah, well, he's. Uh, first of all, we don't have an answer today. That's that's the honest truth. We don't know what uh, what his status is going to be worth at the, at the direction of the medical staff, and, and so we're we're uh, eagerly uh, awaiting that decision. Hopefully, it comes sooner rather than later. Uh, as far as the second part, the rust. I mean, he's been practicing full tilt for a few weeks now, and uh, so you know he's been doing a good job of getting the rust knocked off during practice. Now, it's not exactly like a game. We understand that. I mean, the speed of the game is is much different, but but we're doing everything we can to get him prepped so when he does step in, when that time does come, that uh, he'll be as ready as we can as we can make him. All right, Coach, I really appreciate your time. I will see you at the stadium. Thanks for always joining us and, uh, and popping on with us. You bet, John. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. And there he goes, Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach. No word on Cam Rising. I thought the travel stuff was interesting because, you know, anybody who's ever traveled knows, you know, there's a toll, there's an impact of regular travel, right? But... Teams are traveling via charter. They're staying in hotels. But I have seen, like, these teams as they travel and go into Pac-12 cities. It's logistically a nightmare in some ways because of the size of the travel party. They scout these things out months and months and months ahead of time. How do you feed all the people? How do you how do you house them? What do you do with all the uh, parents and stuff who are flying in and wanting to stay inside the team hotel and the distractions and all of that stuff that goes along with it? Uh, and I didn't think about what you do on a short week if you are Utah. Uh, we'll talk more about the Pac-12, and we'll give our Pac-12 picks coming up. You got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. So far, the show has uh, not included a reference to that pop singer who showed up at the NFL game the other day, and we're, we're going to try to keep it that way. I'm taking a cue from listeners who, you know... It, I'm just proving that I'm coachable by doing this, but I'm taking a cue from listeners who have suggested to me that if I talk about you-know-who, then I'm literally I'm lowering the bar for this radio show because they said if you talk about you-know-who, who showed up at the NFL game and is now probably wearing a Travis Kelsey jersey on tour, um, if you talk about that person and you let all those people who are non-sports fans into the conversation, we have to dumb down all of the conversation. We have to dumb it way down. Uh, Anna has popped into the studio. Anna, we're not going to talk about, you know, who. Okay? Okay? Damian Lillard? No, we're talking about him. <laughs> He's all right. <laughs> By the way, do you think the music scene in Milwaukee does anything for him like do you think he went like because he was thinking miami and he was thinking um he was thinking swim trunks yeah palm trees mm-hmm. you know i don't know what you think of when you think of miami i think of uh you know cr- i think of crockett and tubs yeah you know mm-hmm. i think of uh miami vice yep and instead he's getting uh a, uh, a brat a beer and a parka <laughs> that's a little change of pace from what he had yeah. in mind well, that's what's happening. But I don't know what the music scene is in Milwaukee. I've been to Milwaukee. Yeah? It's a good town. I think Portland's a better city. Okay. I think he's he's going to miss Portland as a city. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, they've got a better basketball team in Milwaukee, clearly now. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but we'll see how this goes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, what's your reaction in your circle as, as you meander the world today? <laughs> um, I think people are mostly happy for him like hey you know what 
you didn't get enough done for you here to put all the pieces in place for you to be a contender uh, in any shape or form um, with a team that could go places. And so uh, I, I think most of the people are happy for him. They understand um, the trade. But I think there's a sadness. Like, you know, he was here for so long. And frankly, he did a lot in the community. Like, he was just showing up at Park Rose High School, my alma mater, and helping kids out and trying to, you know, motivate young people to stay on the right track. And so I think there was enough buy-in from him and connection to the community that there are a lot of us that are lamenting, like, gosh, you know, that's, for me personally, I'm lamenting, like, why didn't we do a better job of yes. building around him yep. and, and, you know, getting a championship or at least being a contender? Your mom group's seeing it right. You know, that's that's the way to see it. Uh, we, we've talked about this before. We've got a family friend who lives right next door to Damian Lillard. And we visited their house. We've been over their house. I kind of watched the construction of his basketball facility happen. I've respected his privacy. I'm not like tweeting out videos of it or pictures of it, you know, but I've, you can't miss it. And people in that neighborhood can't miss it. It's this huge basketball facility that, you know, has got probably training facility attached to it, probably a music studio attached to it. Um, you know, a whole bunch of things. They, they report that it's been just very quiet over there, mm -hmm. that there hasn't been a lot of Damian Lillard, there hasn't been any activity, that it's just been quiet for months, and that, you know, he's kind of doing his thing in other places right now. And I think it'll be interesting to see if he eventually comes back to Portland and makes this his home someday, or if he really just kind of does check out. Now he's faced with selling a, you know property that has got a basketball facility on it to a normal person it's not a house it's like a compound it's uh very kind of industrial looking and you know i think a lot of the blazers who uh are trying to offload or who were trying to offload houses in the back had a tough time because they had kind of unusually large expansive properties like not everybody's in the market for something like that yeah it's it's you know hassan whiteside did the same thing like, he came in, he spruced up his house, and then put it, put it on the market. I don't know if Yusuf Nurkic did that as well. LaMarcus Aldridge did that. We've seen other players who have struggled to sell their homes after leaving the Blazers. Scottie Pippen took a bath on his house because he couldn't sell it. Like, there just isn't a market for a $6 million house, you know, it, for you know with normal people. Like, you have to sell it to another NBA player in order to get your money back out of it. Um, it it's... Um, it also has a fence around it that, oddly, Stephen, is like eight or nine feet tall, and it's made to keep deer out. There is apparently a fear of deer over there. That's the uh, Buck slogan, fear of the deer. So I find that interesting <laughs> that he goes to Milwaukee where the slogan holds up. You know, that's kind of interesting to me. So Was that so a sign that, that he didn't want to go to Milwaukee? I don't know. Maybe that's why he – I actually, when the trade went down, did you notice this? Like, there was a silence after it mm -hmm. where you expected a tweet from Lillard right away. And it was just kind of quiet. And then Jimmy Butler says, you know, conspiracy theory, the grassy knoll, look out. You didn't hear it from me. You know, there could be some collusion going on here. And then subsequently there's a tweet from a reporter at the Miami Herald who says that he spoke with Aaron Goodwin. 
And Aaron Goodwin is saying that, hey, they did everything they could. Takes two to tango, essentially pointing a finger at the Blazers, saying they went out of their way not to deal with the heat, not to give him his wish. And um, then Lillard comes out and says, you know, he's, you know, not the casual fans, but for the other fans, he's going to have a message for you shortly. And then, uh, and uh, you know, he, then he just says he's excited about Milwaukee, well, like onward to Milwaukee. I want to get your take on this because Mark Spears just tweeted out a little bit ago. He said, um, with Miami talks going nowhere, that Aaron Goodwin actually privately told the Bucks and Nets 10 days ago that Dame would be interested in the deal there and that the Raptors were a real contender to land Dame, but ultimately the Bucks got it done. Uh, so, you know, earlier, like you said, the Miami, Miami people are saying that Aaron Goodwin just is thanking Pat Riley and th- they did all they could, but then he's going out and saying that Dame said it's okay to go to the Bucks or Nets. So, I, I, he's kind of, he's just talking everywhere, out of everywhere. Uh, but I think, I think, it, you know, I think that's Aaron Goodwin wanting Aaron Goodwin to look good. Like, hey, I helped facilitate this deal, right? Like, but doesn't I, he look bad? Because we yes. all know that it was the one place he wanted to go is Miami and he couldn't get him there. Yeah. And so I think this is Aaron Goodwin trying to, change shift the narrative a little bit we're seeing a lot of that like this is not new i imagine in the time of the caveman whoever came up with the fire there was some narrative changing in the background from some other caveman who said yeah that was my idea you know i I, you know i i could have done that too i gave him all the tools i knew you know i gave the uh i did nobody nobody saw it but i actually did it i actually did that yeah (laughs) but it's it's yeah Aaron goodwin's doing that Your, your players will do it uh, well, the Washington president today gave an interview to John Wilner in which, you know, she's she's saying, you know, they never tried to bring the $50 million deal to uh, ESPN. And then some other presidents refuted it in the same report. It's like everybody's pulling the CYA. Let's change the story to make us look better in hindsight thing instead of just owning it. Like you screwed up. The conference disintegrated. You played a role in it. Own it. You tried to get your client to Miami. It didn't happen. You got him to Milwaukee instead. Hey, own it. Like, it's okay. But I think Aaron Goodwin's worried about his next client, right? He's he's going out and go, he wants everybody else to know, hey, I, this had my blessing. Well, and this wasn't the first time this has happened to Aaron Goodwin. He represents DeMar DeRozan, who got traded to San Antonio. He was not happy when he got traded to San Antonio in that deal for Kawhi Leonard. So this is not the first time Aaron Goodwin has failed his his or his, uh, his, his person to try to get them to where they want to go. I think it's, you know, the Blazers, I I hope, did what was best for the Blazers. I hope this was not done out of spite. But I would understand, like, you know, when a player gives you a trade demand and says, here's the place, you know, I'm going to give you a list of the places I want to go, and gives you one city, that's, that's not a trade request. I mean, I was told this, John, in June before Dame's trade request, so... Uh, I was told that the Blazers already had said, like, if Dame requests a trade, I don't want to deal with Miami. Like, they don't want to do that. Like, I was told that. So it makes a lot of sense if that was actually true, that they just didn't want to deal with Miami. Because I feel like if you trade him there, you're going to get the, the media and everybody's going to say you got the bad end of the deal because Pat Riley is such a genius. He knows what he's doing. So it goes to your point of Burton, and Jody and Joe Cronin don't want to look dumb to the media, to the fans. So they just were not going to deal with Pat Riley. They're no different than Aaron Goodwin. They're just not as used to it. And I think that, that it's been interesting to kind of watch them operate. I have limited faith in Blazers' ownership, right? But I, this deal, to me, looks like a good deal for the Blazers. looks like they got enough. It looks like they got uh, a player in Drew Holiday that they can parlay into additional picks. Um, looks like they uh, they have done okay by their future. And so if you're a Blazer fan, 
I, I think on one hand, you got to have a big thumbs up for this trade. Like, if you're sitting back, you're watching, you're evaluating, what did they get for a player who wanted out? I think you give it a thumbs up because this was not a fire sale. They did not take pennies on the dollar. I think they got enough. And and Chauncey Billups, as a coach, I think he has to give it a thumbs up because he's looking at the next season. His job is on the line. He's got to coach the team. The last thing he wants is to go out and win 21 games. And now he's got some players that make them better and also whose ages kind of lined up line up better. So I, th- I think he's got a locker room outside of Drew Holiday that, that he can all go, hey, I got some guys in their 20s that all kind of line up together and I can I can work with this. So now let's see if Chauncey Billups can coach. Uh, and if you're a Damian Lillard fan, you still win because he's going to Milwaukee. He's going to have a chance to try to win a championship. And he's got Giannis there, who is a better player than Damian Lillard. He's a two-time MVP, and he's a world champion already. And, you know, he's a better player. And I think the, the, the narrative on Lillard even holds up because the last thing he wanted to do was go somewhere like where he was just an additive piece that – really didn't put somebody over the top. The fact that Milwaukee didn't win the championship last year gives you that ability for him to save face and go, hey, you know, if they win a championship, it'll people will still say, hey, Damian Lillard was part of why they won that championship. They're not going to treat him like Kevin Durant in Golden State. Does his departure, and I'll ask the two of you, does his departure create a space now for somebody who is already on the Blazers roster to step up and really shine and become a leader. It's for me it's Scoot Henderson. Like he he has the char- the charisma to do that and I and he's already talked about how he wants to be the best. He wants to be a leader. Uh you know, he's played professionally in the G League for two seasons having to deal with grown adults. Like I, I think he's the guy. I don't know that Shane Sharp necessarily is that personality, but it's Scoot Henderson for me and I think he can really get the fan base going and embrace it and they'll embrace him because he's an exciting player to watch. So yeah, I think it does open it up and it's just, it's a completely new era. Like we just, we closed the book on this last era because, you know, like I said earlier, like you look at the team, the roster three years ago, the only guy left is Anthony Simons. And mm-hmm. it seems like he's probably going to be on the way out because you can't have him and Scoot and Shaden Sharp all on the same team. And Scoot's the guy with the charisma. So I, I think Scoot's really going to, you know, grab you know, grab it by the uh, the uh, horn, the bull by the horns. Yeah, that's it. And that's, uh, the, one. that's the one. And uh, really go with it. The lack of ownership in my mind has just left the franchise so rudderless that it what they were doing didn't make sense. Right, right. You know, they go into the free agency and they make a signing that doesn't line up with Lillard's timeline, and they tell Lillard, or and they tell the world we're building around Damian Lillard, and then months later they pick Scoot Henderson in the draft, like. Does none of it was making any sense, and so today I think they got some direction. And Anna, to your question, I think yes, there's a whole bunch of young players now who have opportunities. There's one basketball. There isn't a guy who's going to shoot all the shots who's on the roster and need the ball so much. Um, I am curious to see how Giannis and Damian Lillard will share, because uh, as Stephen pointed out earlier, Damian Lillard has never really made players around him better. He just sort of gets his, and everybody enjoys the show. And so, I think it'll be interesting to see can he be, can he be Robin, you know, in Batman and Robin? Because that's what he's going to be in Milwaukee. He's going to be Robin. And I always felt like that's kind of what the Blazers needed. They needed that other player to compliment him. And I felt like C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard were a little bit like Robin and Robin. 
<laughs> and and now it is Batman and Robin in in Milwaukee, but, and so I I think you get an opportunity there. And to your point, John, it's a cl- he's the clear Robin. Like there is no question that Giannis is the better player. Giannis is the face of that franchise, so he has to fall in line to what Giannis wants. Not you know he has no say in that. Is that going to be hard for him? It's got to be. It's got to be. I mean, he's been the man wherever he went. I mean, you think about it, Weber State. Like he's the man. He 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 runs that team. He runs that program. He comes to the Blazers. Even though Lamarcus was here, it was like Dame kind of took it, and it was his team from the get go. It's got to be different because he you know, and on the court, he's never played off the ball. He's never had to his whole career. Go back to Weber State, to high school. He doesn't play off the ball. He has the ball in his hands because he's always the best player. Well, guess what? He's not the best player anymore. He's going to have to change his game somewhat. I think he's good enough, and I think he'll adapt to it, but it's a legitimate question that you can ask, and I can't wait to see it. Let's go back and listen to what Damian Lillard said just uh, in March. He was talking about ring culture in the NBA. I enjoyed the uh, the bonding part of it. Like We spend more time with each other than anybody, but now it's like that don't count. Regular season don't count. Get a ring. You know what I'm saying? Like, who? This guy's the MVP. This guy did this. He the first. It's like, bro, what Like, what is this stuff? Like, what is this? You know what I'm saying? Like, I and I don't want this ain't even I don't want to make it about my situation. But I was talking after a game like a week ago and I was just like, they're asking me about Dame, but like to win a ring. And, and I'm like, bro, I don't need to prove to y'all that I want to win a ring. Why the hell do I play like? I don't need to prove that to y'all, but we cannot keep acting like, while I understand we play to win championships, we all want to win the championship. We can't keep acting like nothing matters, like the rest of the stuff, the journey doesn't matter. We can't. He's saying something there that doesn't line up with where he ended up. You know, he ends up in a position where he very much says, the ring really mattered to me. A chance to win a championship mattered to me. That's why he raised his hand and asked out. And I'm not saying that's wrong. A lot of players do that. But I do have, like, I, I listened to what he said in 2020, 2022, about loyalty, and he was never going to be that guy to join another team. Guess what? He is. He's that guy, and he showed more loyalty than most NBA players do by staying in Portland. But I think in the end, he's still an NBA player, wants to win a championship, and he knows he can't do it in Portland. And so he's going. Yeah, I mean, that sounded like somebody who was... We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.